0: Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. One more time. <laughs> this is Bush League. I'm Tobias Carla. This is Value After Hours. My co-hosts, Jake Taylor and Bill Brewster are here as always. Jake, what's your topic this week?
1: Uh, well, I feel obligated like we need to talk about coronavirus since it's a, such a big deal right now.
0: And Bill, what are you talking about?
2: Going to talk about uh thinking about the future a little bit more and my my recent visit to the West Coast and how it got my frame my mind frame a little bit different
0: and i 'll be talking about the swift rebuke that the market gave to cliff asness 's article on sinning a little in value, where it then sold off for the worst six weeks out of a really bad decade, which led him to write another note. Saying never has a venial sin been punished so swiftly. We'll be talking about that right after this.
2: Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquires Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquires Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquires Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit Acquiresfunds.com
0: So we're we're in the we're in the second day of a big sell-off just so everybody can contextualize where we are. Uh, I've I've been talking to a few friends. Among, uh, Chris Cole, who's a vol guy, he has all of these little... Mon- he, he monitors all of these different funny relationships between things. And one of the relationships that he monitors, which is something that I have believed for a long time, is that value... He monitors value relative to growth, value relative to the market. Because I have this theory that value sells off first. In a bull market, the tail end value just doesn't get a bid. I think it's because value guys tend to be a little bit more disciplined. It's not the stuff that's going up definitionally. That's where everybody's kind of piling in. So value definitely starts pulling back first. we saw that in 2007, definitely saw that in 2000, although it was years early in 2000. And I think that we've been seeing it over the last five years where value kind of sells off. And then catches back up again and sells off. And I think that the most recent big sell-off over the last sort of eight weeks was interesting and that it came on the heels of Cliff Astness at AQR had this article where he said, timing factors is really hard to do, but he advocates for when when they get to extremes, he advocates sinning a little, by which he means allocating a little bit more to whatever... Um, whatever factor is the one that's currently doing the worst at the time. So uh, he came out with this article saying, sin a little in value because it's underperformed so well. Just be, just as a precursor to those eight weeks where it's had its worst six weeks in the last decade, it's probably the worst eight weeks in the last decade. And uh, so he had to come out with a second article where he said, never has a venial sin been punished so swiftly. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Uh just I think it's kind of funny that like value has been selling off pretty consistently for the last 8 weeks and now we have, you know, everybody was sort of uh wondering when the volatility from coronavirus was going to uh, materialize in the markets. All of a sudden we've had these two violent days of selling. And I I wonder whether it's coronavirus or whether it's uh just the market's been expensive. There's a lot of weakness underneath. I mean, you look at Japan had that big negative negative six point three percent Q four GDP print. That's pre coronavirus. Who knows what's gonna happen. Maybe maybe it's like a broken window fallacy that if you if you get enough if you kill enough people, there's enough of a response from all of the authorities that, that somehow that gooses GDP. I, I kinda I hate those theories. I think they're wrong, but you know, that's maybe that does show up in a in a quarter of Maybe it shows up in a a, a quarter of people spending money on face masks or something like that. But honestly, I I don't think that's going to happen. I think shutting down all the factories is is really going to hurt and the supply chain. And we're going to see that in maybe maybe not even in the next round of reporting. We're going to see that in, like, that's the Q1 reporting which comes out mid-Q2, Q2 Q2 reporting which comes out mid-Q3. So I think this thing probably potentially rolls on all year long. I think I've just stepped on your topic, too, Jay, Sorry about that.
1: Uh-oh, <laughs> okay. oh, Matrix. If we want
0: to. Back into Matrix. The Matrix. Matrix got you. Go again. I said
1: we, we could just do a big blended show today if we want to. This can just be a... Coronavirus a special. Real tra- real, real,
0: Markets in turmoil. Real, real,
2: Markets in <laughs> turmoil grab-ass edition. That's right. I might have to go get a Corona. <laughs> what well, do you guys think? I,
1: well let's let's go back to the to Cliff's paper first. Um and first thing I would say is like boy, I kinda miss Cliff on Twitter. Uh, uh, no. He was, oh no, it sucks.
2: Why do you have to go away? Regulatory reasons? No, I ha- think he just gets too uh, angry. I think
1: it's He gets too angry health. and people Yeah. And I get it. Like he's probably
0: smart to do that, but To his credit he will uh, treat him well. He's not the kind of guy who you you don't have to have a blue check mark to get a response from Cliff. Like any random dude who set up a Twitter account fifteen minutes ago can go at it with Cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll take it earnestly, like he'll respond as if they're not just trolling him. So, you know. Maybe there's a healthier way for Cliff to come back into the fold. As an egg.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He might be out there right now, we don't know. Trolling. that's right
0: he should stick a big shark fin in his uh in his bio in his in his profile pic and just like swim up and gore people the way that everybody does to him
2: i'm gonna i'm gonna check for random egg citing aqr papers
0: (laughs) he wouldn't give it away
2: (laughs) so anyway what about the paper jake oh
1: um yeah i just thought it was uh I really appreciate the way that he approaches uh, investing and his, just his quant kind of mentality. And like, he really is humble about it in a way that I I find attractive. Like, he doesn't he doesn't act like he's got it all figured out. But he, you know, he but he's very he sticks to his guns at the same time. And so I find that combination of humility but also discipline. Uh, like, I'm I root for him to win. And obviously, he's like won a
0: lot already. <laughs> like his thought no process sh- is is extant it's externalized so you can he's not saying he's not saying i'm cliff assness with a phd from Booth and 200 billion dollars in the fund and i'm a billionaire that's why you should believe what i'm saying what he's saying is here is the data and here is my interpretation of it if that's wrong then show me where yeah approach
1: he had a great line in there that i let me see if i can find it you guys talk while i'm looking
2: uh, with respect to how long coronavirus goes on, I think you, I think it might be Q four, man. I mean, I think we might be into December still hearing about it. Oh, I'm if sure. Nothing else, I'm saying at a minimum. Or yeah. Uh, Dan McMurty was pretty, uh, pretty early on this. I don't, you know, like you, I don't know how much is necessarily coronavirus related, but. I mean, when you start working back through the supply chain with all the operating leverage that is in supply chains now and all the just-in-time inventory that everybody has worked so hard to get to, uh,
0: it could be a real deal. Yeah, it's surprising that it hasn't shown up yet. I guess the U.S. just hasn't panicked yet properly.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think one thing that we all sort of forget is that If we looked at sort of uh, like dollar weighted paying attention, there's a lot of money out there that is not—they're not living this stuff all the time. Like they're living their lives, they're doing other things, they're going to their kid's soccer game. They're not hanging on every single like report, and you know, on Bloomberg or on Twitter. They're just living life, and so I think the underreaction sometimes surprises us because it's like. Dude, doesn't this seem like a bigger deal? No one's paying attention. Nothing matters anymore, right? But maybe it's, it's just maybe it's it's a little slower to diffuse out into the, into the ecosystem than guys like us who are on the front lines think
0: about.
2: I I, I didn't think about it. I thought I was like, this is SARS 2.0. It's bird flu. I've been through this before. It is bigger than
0: that. Yeah, I've, I always, I joked to my wife that the CDC has its, uh, has its annual advertising campaign and they come out with zika virus be worried yeah. about that for this year sars this year mers this year and then this year they were like come on we're going to come up with something new coronavirus but i have I, I don't know anything about anything i don't know anything about anything but uh, it does seem to be worse than those other early advertising campaigns i think i think uh, that they, this is a real blockbuster <laughs>
2: Well, Buffett was saying it yesterday, right, where he was on CNBC and he was like, I, you know, I mean, he was basically saying that he talks to Bill Gates and, but he wouldn't be like Bill Gates thinks this. But apparently Bill Gates thinks that, uh, like, it's going to last through the heat and, you know, we'll see. But I, I think Buffett was hinting that he thought it might be a bigger deal than, than people let on. But what I could you- be, I don't know, I was tired when I watched that.
1: What do you mean you don't know anything? You're... We're all now virologists and supply That's chain right.
2: managers. <laughs> Don't, haven't you gotten your Twitter education on viruses?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's beyond me, honestly. I try to ignore anybody who expresses an opinion.
2: Well, I'll tell you how it won't get beyond you. You could have a concentrated position in
0: airlines, and then it comes right to your front door. I got a little position. It's hard to pick out the, the, the airline from the rest of the portfolio. <laughs> There's a lot of red in there.
2: I'll yeah. tell you who I like. I like the guy I I mentioned, and for anyone that thinks that I fully abandoned value, this is a 10 basis point position in Splunk. And this guy's like, I thought you were a value investor. I, know, I saw that one. Well, listen here, dude. I still own the airlines, and it hasn't been fun. So <laughs> I'm so happy I have this label that you've put me in. Oy vey. Like, Spirit off 10%, Ryanair down 11 I I mean I don't really care, but it
0: was a painful thing to look at. Is that impacting the domestic carriers? Because I got a position in love. How's that tracking?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the argument is it's going to reduce the amount of people coming into the U.S. and that's going to hit load factors. I don't look. I think that this is a good test, right? Everybody that is long the airline thesis has been saying like, well, they're going to be able to pull in capacity. So let's see. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we'll find out if we're right or not, but even if we get through this, people are going to be like, well, the max was out of production, so we have to wait for a recession. I don't care. Keep the cloud of doubt on. We'll just buy in all the shares.
1: I know this, uh, this man who runs a manufacturing company and he keeps six months of inventory on hand at all times, which, you know, every MBA from McKinsey would have, you know, screamed bloody murder about tying up that much working capital however on on these type of situations when he's the one who's still delivering and no one else can what do you think that does for his brand and for his company and does it much more compensate Gee, the, the cost of carrying extra inventory he's he said he does it for the same reason that we have two kidneys like you you need to got a backup <laughs> you need a backup right because shit can happen and i think I think that's really smart, and I, I wonder if maybe we're – a lot of public companies especially aren't doing enough of that kind of long-term thinking and and uh, trying to optimize for too short of a time horizon. Almost certainly. How could you justify that?
2: Got to get your roik up. Yeah, that's right.
1: So all the compounder boy can buy it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you got to sell all your assets, sale, lease, back them, get your Roy going and uh Mm -hmm. get get your stuff streamlined you know especially with rates at like where they are i mean carrying some extra working capital is not i mean you just finance it
1: yeah what uh one thing that's kind of scary to think about though is if this type of thing creates a push away from specialization and a, a more towards localization of resources and economies it kind of makes like if you look at like Tibet, for instance, they're a relatively poor GDP per capita. And it's because they're on an island, relatively speaking, they don't like and they're jacks of all trades, like they know how to fix a diesel engine and, you know, do a million different things. But they're not specialists at any one thing, which is what tends to create the most wealth when you have the facilitation of trade. Well, if you if everyone goes back to being local experts more because of something like this, like we could be materially poorer potentially as a species.
0: Well, here's another another view though. So Josh Wolf says that, you know, advances in 3D printing are coming and the impact of those advances in 3D printing is now you won't be sending all of this stuff around the world on container ships. You need the raw materials and you'll just make it close to where you are. Maybe there'll be a fab in your little city or your town or something or maybe you'll have your own little 3d printer at home and that'll get you most of the things you need that would be awesome i
1: like i think that's a it's a pretty good reason to maybe question on an energy
0: investment anytime you feel bad about the world go and watch an interview with josh wolf and all the great stuff that's coming down the pike i can't wait The, the the thing where you get the you don't have to have a chip implanted in your brain they're going to stick something a band around your wrist and it can interpret what you mean when you're t- so you type something in air and it'll appear yeah. on the screen and it'll be nonsense and your frustration with what has appeared on the screen will teach this thing what you wanted to type and it'll it'll eventually just figure it out so you will have different gestures to the person who's beside you but your band will know what you're trying to indicate so you won't have keyboards or any other interface other than this thing on your arm. That sounds great. Does oh. it? <laughs> do you like, like typing? It, if you couldn't get
2: Twitter out of your brain, like I got to be able to take this thing
0: off. It's got to be in your brain. It's on your wrist. I, I'm
2: just saying. I, yeah, well, I got to be able to take it off. All turn right. your notifications off. That's what it is. All right. Yeah. That's. I, I need that.
0: Do you want to do it? Do you have any particular coronavirus insights that uh, well, that's, that's your topic that I was stepping all over, Jake? <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, I kind of shot my wad already, uh, but I would say, <laughs> honestly, I don't know enough to really say anything smart about it. Other than, uh, you know, it, it could be could be a bigger deal, and and I do kind of agree with some of these ideas that it might take a whole year or something to work through. Um, here's an interesting idea, though: what if, what if because of this, we shrunk the pile of goods and services in the world? And contrast that against ten years of money printing, and this is what actually triggered inflation, like a supply side shock.
0: Right, but well, we haven't had one of those for a long time, right? Long time, right? When's the like, last one? Seventies.
1: Yeah, is like it oil embargo probably would be the last time we had something like that. Uh, but I mean, why why wouldn't stagflation be a potential outcome that I don't I don't really hear anyone talking
2: about much? You're rooting for it so bad. No, I'm not. Those <laughs> are awful. That's terrible. Like that's. Well, it wouldn't be permanent, right? I mean, you're talking about. Could I mean, I guess years, it all depends though. how long this stuff goes on. Could be years. I
0: yeah. Why I'm... why? I'm sort of. I think that coronavirus is worse than everything else. But why? Why is that? Why? Why do you think that this is worse than than SARS, MERS, sick of virus, whatever?
2: I mean, for me, I'm stealing Super Magatu's thoughts here, but I think he had the best thread that I've seen on how it can ripple through the supply chain and how much – like when you're – your cost structure is not linear, right? So if you stop production or you're underutilized, it's not just so easy to absorb, and – if that starts to result in layoffs and stuff like that, I mean, it it can become a little bit of a reflexive downward spiral, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, I know I, with respect to airlines, they get a fair amount of revenue from the cargo that they have under their planes when they're flying. That's gone down. Uh, I still see pretty full flights. I've been on two in the last two weeks and it hasn't been a big deal. Um, or four legs, but you know, that's that's all domestic.
0: You you gotta you're you're still in your four week quarantine period, Bill. That's why you've been sequestered. yeah I went to California,
2: you... they're trying to keep me sequestered now.
0: That's what you should have told the the missus, like I gotta
1: stay out in California. I've I'm, been I'm uh, quarantined. I would wish. Oh if only. <laughs>
2: if
0: only. What's your topic, Bill?
2: Uh, well, I, I had the, the ability to go out to Google, uh, which was super cool to visit and just being out in, in California, you know, I, I find it interesting, the conversations that I had out there, um, not necessarily at Google, but just meeting with people. I think that there's an interesting arbitrage for lack of a better term between the West coast and the East coast. I sit in the middle in Chicago so, like, the most exciting stuff that we're around is how many dairy farms are popping up. Um, but it, it is interesting how, like, some of the people out there view it as an inevitability that Tesla is going to own the electric grid, like, tomorrow, right? And the, my mind, I, as sort of somebody that's tied to value, is to bet against change. So to surround myself with people that are more focused on change and where the world is going i found to be a hugely beneficial use of time and uh i hope to do it much more often i'd like to incorporate it into my life a lot more
1: so or is that what is that how does that affect your investment kind of outlook of the world or do you think you're i mean we've you said before sounds like you got to go buy some tesla no No, I'm not. Very smartly have said before about the, you know, the downside tail being respected by value investors and the upside tail being value or appropriately appreciated by growth investors. Does this change? Does this change anything for you?
2: Not really. I mean, I did take that massive position in Splunk, which, you know, may have may be the wrong one to take. It doesn't even matter. It's like I said, it's 10 basis points. I mean, I know every dollar matters, but the function of that. It's the only one that I have that's like that. But I want to sign in, and if I check my portfolio, I want that as a reminder to think that way. If I lose ten basis points, I don't give a shit. Like it really doesn't matter to me relative to the benefit that I think that that constant nudge is going to give me. I'm not going to litter my portfolio with that kind of thing. But I do. That's probably the one tangible change. Um, yeah,
1: it's a and, tuition investment.
2: Yeah, I think. You know, it's um, probably suboptimal, but whatever. Um, And, you know, I I think like I need to spend more time studying uh, some of the stuff that's going on specifically in the cloud and how you like last week I was talking about data and how I think it's uh, a sort of akin to a hoarder's house where like people are like, oh, look at all my stuff, but you can't find anything. Um, there are companies that are helping people with that. So I need to focus my time and attention on how people are solving that big need and then be patient because I'm sure all that stuff is priced to perfection. How do you, how do you ascertain
1: how knowable some of this stuff is? Cause I, I when I, it's, it's, I find it to be like when they explain it to me, these very, very smart people, I go, okay, like, now yeah, that makes sense to me. And then it's like the Chinese food effect with, uh, with, uh, Feynman where they said like they could have a conversation with him and it would all make sense. And then 20 minutes later it would be like, I don't, I can't explain anything that he just told
2: me. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I think that the best way that I am going to try to do it is to try to go out there more often Mm -hmm. and to try to talk to people and figure out if I can figure it out. And if I can't, then I, then I can't, but, don't forget just, Silicon like, I, Beach
0: in Los Angeles. Oh God, I love LA.
2: <laughs> I mean I love I love Cali so much. I, I, I don't have to live there, so I don't have to deal with what you guys complain about occasionally, but uh but I, I don't know. I can't wait to get out more often. Um and I you know, I guess it's just surrounding yourself with people that are working in the companies, talking to customers and trying to piece together something, right? And if it doesn't work, then so what? But at least I'll say, "Hey, I tried," and have some interesting conversations.
1: Toby, do you try to insulate yourself from those kind of conversations? Giving your strategy—that's more of a—I'm not going to make any predictions about the future. I'm just looking backwards and.
0: No, I like I like talking to people about, you know, I like all that futurist stuff. I love science fiction, hard science fiction, future, yeah. uh, and I like I love the Josh Wolfe interviews, for example. I love all of that uh he's like on some line between sci-fi and sci-fact he says you know yeah. where he's trying to see these things i think all that stuff's super cool super interesting incredibly hard to invest in y- you know that the long ter- so i a very i i've looked at the long-term returns to angel like They're not that good. Angel's really hard. Long-term returns to VC, not that great unless you can get into those top quartile funds. And I think that the reason that they succeed so well is because it's a signaler for an entrepreneur and a startup to get an investment from Sequoia or Benchmark, whatever. And so they do get the better cut of deals and so they they do a little bit better. I don't think that they've got any better picking skills than anybody else. Mm. I think it's incredibly tough. I think that what, what... In What markets like this do is they make people forget that the objective when you're investing is to find things that are mispriced. Whether you're a value guy, whether you're a momentum guy, whatever you're doing, you're finding things that are mispriced. What this market has done over the last five years is it's rewarded that first-order thinking where you say, this is a really good business, I like Netflix, I like Amazon, I like Facebook and then you go and buy some and that has done very well. Typically, What gets rewarded is second-order thinking, where you say, I like that thing. What does Peter Lynch say? He says, go and do a valuation. Oh, that's really expensive, but now I like it. I'm going to watch it. So I have pretty consistently over the last five years been looking for mispriced things that hasn't been rewarded, but it does work over the long run. So that's what I'm going to keep on doing. But I still love sci-fi.
2: Well, I guess that the one the one pushback that I'd give on that is some of these big tech companies have gotten I think a lot bigger than people thought that they could get and a lot more profitable. So I do think that there is an upward inflection. I, I agree with you on on many of the things that I look at that it's just sort of multiple expansion. But some of this has been like crazy growth that I don't think yeah my they mind were probably able to see in other probably markets though priced
0: lower. Could, so Microsoft, which has had which has been doing very well and had lots of multiple expansion over the last period of time. You can go back the decade before and have a look at how it performed there. I mean, they were doing pretty well through that period too. Mm -hmm. You know, the revenue growth was roughly similar, but multiple compression did what happens normally to high-growth companies, that they see that high growth in the earnings, but they also see multiple compression because the market gets too far ahead. That is what has happened at almost every other juncture It's not happening at the moment, they're getting multiple expansion, but I think that it's almost a certainty that we go back into a market at some stage where high growth sees multiple compression, low growth sees multiple expansion. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but I'm pretty confident that's what happens.
2: How do you think about some of the pushback that comes at value from like the ROE perspective or the low returns on invested capital? I mean, if you're doing uh, a value study you're rolling out of those every year, right? Is that accurate? I mean, I know that it's. I, I'm trying yeah. to figure out, like. Yeah. So, so some when sort you of read back the test. studies yeah. – Yeah. Yeah. So, when you read the studies, it's not really like uh, these businesses, if you hold them for five years, you outperform. It's just in general, the value factor,
0: if you keep rolling, outperforms. Is that accurate? So. The value factor is price to book, but let's just say value generally, like any low price to a fundamental. The back tests typically run rolling on an annual basis. I think the gold standard is lag the data six months, so you're trading in June on the K data. So there's everything's been disclosed to the market. And then look at what the composition of the returns and the composition of the returns over the next sort of 12 months tends to be The earnings for value don't do as well. They do seem to compress, but less than the market anticipates, and so you get this multiple expansion. And so that is typically how it has worked. So when someone looks at my portfolio, they might say, well, that portfolio is full of dog shit, and I don't disagree that those businesses are struggling. I mean, I think their balance sheets are very strong. They're still generating free cash flow, and they're close to cyclical lows. So what I'm trying to capture is is an increasing return on equity, but from a compressed return on equity, increasing um, earnings, but from a trough and an increasing multiple expansion. Last few years, uh, for a variety of reasons, not all three of those have occurred at the same time. But I, I still think the businesses, like as a whole, if I tell you what the, the portfolio is like, 11% free cash flow yield, buying back about 6% of its stock, growing at about 15% a year. I mean, that's from my perspective. I like holding something that looks like that. I would buy a thing that looked like that. Yeah, that's a decent conglomerate. Right. Yeah. But it hasn't been working. Like you can just see the, you can look at, you know, Hussman has that chart that he publishes every now and again, where he says, "Here, here are the 10 deciles. And you can just look at how the 10 deciles have tracked over time. Last 18 months, that value decile has been falling in terms of its valuation. That most expensive decile has been rising in terms of its valuation. That is what has driven over the last 18 months, two years, value to underperform. Not saying that some of those very good companies don't justify. I mean, I said last week that I thought that it's one of those unusual bubbles, or not bubbles, sorry, one of those unusual booms where I do think that the ranking is roughly right. Like I do think that the better, more cash-rich, fast-growing, high-return and equity companies are the ones that are being rewarded. But I think that the train to make that investment, the point that you wanted to make that investment was roughly 2010 and you wanted to get on that train. And that was when Jake at Economic pointed this out to me. Ford PE for value in 2010 was more expensive than the Ford PE for the growth glamour decile, Mm. for the expensive decile. I've never seen that before, I didn't notice it at the time, but I think that that explains a lot of the last decade of performance for that growth glamour, expensive decile. And I think if that occurs again, then you want to be a growth guy at that time. But I think that if you look at the market now, and Cliff Asness has said this in his original venial sin paper, it's like value was punished properly for eight years. Value has been over punished for the last two years. And he says that now that's why it's so stretched, and now you want to be more of a, a deeper value guy. That's my argument. I like
2: I like the uh, framework of the market exists to humiliate everyone. Like it's Indeed. it's right that Cliff should write that paper and then get egg <laughs> thrown on his face. Like that's how the market should react. Uh, and now it's time for everybody else to get egg on theirs. When do we have a good? How to- many two thousand
1: nineteen victory lap? Did
2: you see? Right. That, well, that the, yeah. the
1: market gods should, if they were just, would be very punishing.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. 2020 should be set up for some kicks in the pants.
0: The, the deep value Decile has had, you know, the last 17, 18, 19 have been among the worst in the last 20 years. So it's, it's, uh, are so telling I, me I, there's a chance. I also think that, and this is something that, uh, probably can't mention his name, but the, the, this is something that I have heard from an, an investor who I have an en- enormous amount of respect for, very, very wealthy, very, very successful over a very long Bill period time. Bill Brewster? Of <laughs> there's a volatility. When, when there's a regime change, there's enormous volatility. Ah. And so uh, I think that we've seen, and the way that that manifests is you know, value, the sell-off becomes steeper and steeper. And the underperformance becomes greater and greater and you get this enormous volatility. And And I think that that indicates regime change. I thought that we saw it in, in August, September last year. But we sort of got, have gone back into this sell-off market. So I think, you know, maybe Corona... I think it probably do need a real sell-off for there to be a proper regime change.
2: I, I tell you, this coronavirus is... Uh, it- Has reinforced to me that balance sheets matter when they matter. Mm. You know, it's like one of those things that when everything's going fine, you can you can push it a little, but when you need some anti fragility, well, if anything,
0: a a a really chunky balance sheet makes it hard to have that high return on invested capital, have that high return on equity. If anything, it's a drag through the good times. That's right. The only time that you want it is when the market gets the and kicked out of it so guys who've gone through big drawdowns a few times one of the first like I, i'm pretty scarred but i first started investing in in the early 2000 in 2000 and you know i've and i've been through another one since then so i one of the i'm, I'm like risk first i want what's the balance sheet are these guys going to survive like if they get if we really go into something nasty does this company emerge at the other side you know if, Worry about the return of your capital before you return about the mm. worry about the return on your capital.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, living with that right now. My beloved ABM Bev. Uh, I th- I think they survive almost certainly, but um, I when I entered that I saw the leverage and I wasn't as concerned. I, I guess that so like in that story in my mind, Latin America was a mess when I got involved. That's where a lot of their profit comes from. You have got declining. Uh, Bud and Bud Light in the U.S., so people don't like that. But it's somewhat offset by Stella and Michelob Ultra taking some shares. So their their dollar sales are relatively flat here, but it's not ideal. But like Asia was the growth engine, and now, and not just no, I hear you laughing. Not just that uh, they overindex, so they're they're sort of like this is an imperfect example, but they're a little bit like Apple in that they sell fewer units but capture a large majority of the profit over there and the reason is they over index in nightclubs well no one's going out right now like this is just going to be brutal and they have a ton of leverage yeah well it's caused me to look in the mirror a little bit and be like okay are you going to be a business owner or a stock trader because if i own a business and this is going on i don't sell the business ever in this scenario like i'm reminded of john malone Two years ago, Charter was uh, pretty low when he had his annual meeting, and he was he was just like, "All right, fine. People don't like my stock right now; they will later." And it was a little <laughs> comment that he said, and it really like clicked for me. It was uh, it was very insightful. Like, "Fine, you don't like my inventory; I don't need to sell it to you." Um, and to me, like, if I owned AB bev, there's no way I would sell it right now. But the stock, it gets enticing to try to dance in we'll and out. we the I'd volatility
0: melt. a little bit take advantage of the volatility
2: yeah I don't, I don't know that that's the game i
0: want to play but a i don't have position her. on little half emotional position yeah i don't know i speaking I've got of my, alone though the ebitda goat, discovery's traded down where he dropped the 75 million dollars so if you like that people then need to
2: realize that that's like no money that's nothing to him that's like you and me buying a prius
0: it's not nothing he still ran through his uh through his screens found out which one had the highest price to free cash flow and Dropped what he had on it.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying the 75 million. Like I, I, I don't, I discount. It's that not a the
0: scale bit. of it. It's the fact that he did it. That's right. Yeah, that's fine. He knows that business and he buys it at a price. And now you got an opportunity to buy it at a lower price. Well,
2: CBS Viacom, I just sold this trading below what CBS is trading. Uh, hat tip to my man Matt Ball. Wish I still had your service, but you discontinued it. Thanks for listening. One of the ten uh i got got I so,
1: famous people in our team
2: the dude we have so many i mean i think we have 12 10 listeners and they're fantastic people uh but no but a lot of those media assets are getting crushed which you know i get it um it's hard to walk in front of the cord cutting train
0: but uh i, I got buff- work out real well i got a buffett quote for you from jonathan Tipper. It makes no sense to lend money to the government at one point one point four percent when it is government policy to have two percent inflation. Warren Buffett.
2: Yeah. Never heard of him. Good line. Who's that guy?
1: Yeah, I mean he's he's been he's railed against long term bonds, US and I think otherwise for a while now, right? He's he's been a seller of those, but not a buyer. (laughs) An issuer, I should say.
2: Short of being sued for breach of fiduciary duty, why would you recommend anyone to buy bonds?
0: Well, Not it's financial the, advice. It's Not the, financial. The theory is that if we go into a drawdown, then uh, bonds should rally. Over the short term. From 1.3 why? down to what? But you, you know, when, they get, when they get to that close to that zero bound, they're going to move a lot more. Like the every little, every yeah. the the change in the in the rate is it has more impact.
2: That's what I, I was talking to my buddy about Microsoft today, and I told him I was like honestly I could see it easily up forty fifty percent from here, and the reason is what you just said. Like when your cap rate is so minimal, it, small changes. I mean it's trading at I don't know like a three point three percent free cash flow yield. Adobe's uh 2.5 ish or whatever that's roughly 21 percent upside right now i could see people saying microsoft's worth a lot more than adobe like just the bond price, proxy yeah the price can just go nuts right and i, I would say yeah i get it I'd, i wouldn't bet on it but
0: i'd get it the only thing is that buffett sort of did that in the 70s right when we had stagflation in the 70s and the The uh, the yellow rock did a lot better than Berkshire did through that period of time. The elusive yellow rock. I don't know how Mm. elusive it is, but it's. I hesitate to say it because you know this is basically a value, and I don't want to get I don't want to get hazed by all the people who hate on it. But I don't own any at the moment either. I don't mind it.
2: I've I, done real well I in it, it
0: actually in the past. My grandma
2: gave me some, and then I sold it in. Uh, I don't know, was it like sixteen hundred an ounce a couple years ago? It was a good sale. Um, but I've magic beans. I, I <laughs> yeah, at the time I I think I actually bought caterpillar stock.
0: I've got this. I've got a mailbag question. If you guys want to do that, this is. It's a very very long uh, mailbag question, but yeah, Research. All right, well, I'm going to take a break then and. <laughs> I can't read this whole thing out, but basically, Yardini uses the Fed model to provide a fair valuation of stocks relative to bonds. They use the 10-year treasury.
2: Haven't we disproved this model or no? Yeah, we
0: have. But this... this, It won't die. It's a specific question. Uh, They argue that based on the historical relationship of the two, the S&P 500 is actually in the region of 70% undervalued and fair value (laughs) is in the region of 12,000, which is a 250% gain from here. Melt up. I think that the the point of the question is from a purely objective point of view, 4% yield on equity with growth is more attractive than 1.6% no growth on the current 10-year. I mean, I, I what do you guys think about that? Yes.
1: Just because something is stupid and insane doesn't mean something that's a little less stupid and insane is a good idea.
2: I don't know, man. I don't know that I agree <laughs> with that. I really don't. And this is why uh, I so everything that I own is not sassy other than my 10 basis points that disqualifies me from discussing value. But uh, I do think that there is room in a portfolio to hedge because there's no guarantee that bonds don't go negative. And I mean, it's insane for me to say that, but. If somebody said, look, I'm going to allocate 10% of my portfolio to like a barbell strategy and Adobe and Microsoft and all them are going to be that that sort of far out barbell and they're going to outgrow bonds, I don't think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I do think you're taking some risk that I'm not comfortable taking, but I, I do get it. I mean, I don't think it's a rational behavior.
0: If the 30 year goes negative what is Microsoft worth? So much. Infinity. Yeah,
2: 4 trillion, 5 trillion. Why not? I mean, the numbers get crazy.
0: Because there's no price at which Microsoft gets a negative yield, right? Like that's a function of their underlying business. So if you can yield 0.01%, it's still better than negative one.
2: Yeah, and their services business is growing like a weed and margins are inflecting and you can really talk yourself into some crazy stuff this time is totally different. I mean, the scary thing for me <laughs> is that I think about is like, if this is really where we're going to go, uh, and by this, I mean, you know, like super compressed yields, driving price. And, you know, I guess that people would probably argue back to me that people have a floor under what their hurdle rate is. I don't know that I actually believe that. I believe that theoretically there should be, but I don't know that behaviorally there is. Um, Like, what do you do if you're a young person? It's it's hard. I mean, if you're buying, like, some of these companies at 2x the value that they're at today, I hope inflation never comes back because it seems like you're going to end up – it just seems, like, ripe to just destroy people someday. And I don't know when the day comes.
1: Well, I lived through this very similar thing when – everyone I talked to in 2004 was telling in California to buy a house because otherwise you'll never be able to afford one and that was the argument it was like you better get in now because you, you won't be able to afford one if you don't buy it now and that was what everyone said and for two more years that was true and it got worse but then reality reasserted itself and it briefly. turned out to be not true
0: Only Bre- Briefly, well,
1: for a while you had you had a few years there where
0: it was you could buy a reasonably priced. It's property, approaching three but... standard deviations again, which is it's, um,
1: it's bad again. Grantham's what what definition housing out a, there? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's Grantham's yeah. definition of a of a bubble. It's approaching his, and, and he had tracked it for a long time. He hasn't for a while. Actually, all of the websites that used to track it don't track it anymore, which I always find a little bit suspect. <laughs> to be fair, you guys have like unending demand and not enough supply
2: and jobs so there's that but you
1: also have taxes know, this, last year was the
2: first year in a long time where there was net that migration out yeah yeah my mom's in scottsdale she says a lot of people are going from california but oh god i hope it implodes not for you guys but for me <laughs> <laughs> i, well, I want to be out there so bad i
1: mean Is let it? me sorry let me ask you this as far as the argument of of you know, this melt up and, and yields going even lower due to treasuries. I mean, isn't this by definition speculation? Yes. I think,
2: I think it's hard to argue. You can't
1: really call it investment at this point, right? You're speculating that someone's going to pay you more because treasuries go lower.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think so. I, I guess that it doesn't feel like that to me yet. Um, so in the same Microsoft conversation, I was saying so. Compare that to Delta, which is pretty front-loaded with the cash flows. So they guide to four billion in free cash flow. I I said I think in a down year maybe you hit one billion. Like in a real down year, uh, you're probably going to be closer to four more often than one. But let's call normalize like two and a half billion to three billion. Market cap is thirty three ish. So that's like a pretty decent yield today. Um, Microsoft is three and a half. I, to me, Microsoft, like, the, Microsoft is a much higher quality business than Delta, but I don't know that it warrants that spread. Um, my buddy has been long it for a while, so I said I wouldn't sell Microsoft right now, but I, I can't get myself to buy it over that being the alternative. But you do have to get into some, like, hair-raising stuff to get any yield right now. Um, so I don't know. It's it's interesting. I'm not sure that I answered your question. I do agree with you that if you're buying 3% expecting it to go to 2% on 50% appreciation, like, yeah, that to me is almost certainly – actually, it's probably more than 50% the way the math works. But, yeah, that's almost certainly uh, – speculation yes that's right
0: so i'd say microsoft's it's, like, it's 3%, like long
2: bonds right
0: microsoft's a three percent free cash flow yield at the moment and it's it's off about eight percent from from where it was before this kind of little coronavirus came through i think it was 2.8 percent when we were discussing it last time
2: <laughs> was it
0: <laughs> oh it's on sale
2: i saw a lot of stuff i'll tell you what like pepsi and coke Ooh. I mean, that's rich. I know that they're doing good things, but like, that's at least with Microsoft, you have something growing like a weed. I mean, Pepsi and Coke—I don't know. I wouldn't lever up to buy them. I'll tell you that.
0: I've got lots of mailbag questions, but I got them. They're all spread all over everywhere, and I honestly I can't track another one down. I've got. Ah. Uh, I've, I've got. A, <laughs> actually, that's not true. I've got. I've got. I feel like we've covered a few of these a few times, but here's another one. Uh, should we double down on our stocks after a thoughtful review is done? What's your rationale for your decision? What, are some other, what do some other investors suggest and what are you going to do in this review from Chris?
1: Well, my, my, uh, I, I've heard Michael Mobison talk about this as the man overboard moment. So it's you should be pre-planning on what you're going to do when your stock drops 50% on you. I like that. And does that trigger? Obviously, it should probably trigger a reassessment. Like the market is telling you something. Whether you agree with it or not is a different story. Uh, but I think you should be looking to see, do, are the assumptions that I'm making this investment on, predicated on, still true? And if so, then this is an opportunity for you to potentially double down. If not, then maybe you hold or cut your losses and, and learn something from it. But you, the time to be coming up with a strategy for the man overboard is while you're calm, while you're thinking rationally, while you're, while the markets are calm also, and not
2: after the guy's already fallen overboard and you're like, Oh God, now what do I do? Could not agree more. i mean, three, three examples that I have like AB and Bev. I don't know that I'm wrong yet, so I'm not going to double down and I'm not going to sell wells. I think I might be wrong. So I'm considering swapping out for Schwab and Delta, I might buy more of not financial advice, but like, those, but those are like three stocks that I still think I'm right on Delta. I mean, I, I think if you underwrote airlines and didn't think you were going to have a drawdown, then you're out of your mind. So to, to experience it and live it, this is sort of, they have a strong balance sheet. If you believe in the thesis now is when you actually want to press your bet a little bit, I think. Um, so I think it, it's very situational.
1: Buffett's got you shook on Wells, huh?
2: Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like a lot of that. I don't like a lot of the stuff in Wells. I think their board is really dysfunctional. Um, I don't know. And yes, I don't think you fade Buffett and Banks. Toby, from a
1: quant standpoint, do you tend to more double down and even out positions? Rebalance?
0: Yeah, the 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 two best arguments I've seen, John Hampton talking about there's, you got John Hampton talking about Paul Tudor Jones on one hand, losers, average losers, and Buffett on the other hand. And, and I think most value investors would say that they have made a lot of money from buying more of a position as it went down. Like, what are the chances that you pick the bottom of the position that you're trying to buy? The pretty first time. Yeah, yeah, almost never. <laughs> almost zero. So, you, you, but you also have this problem where. You've got some risk allocation you know you want to be a three percent position or a five percent position or a ten percent position whatever you want you put ten percent of the portfolio at cost it gets cut in half rebuy up to ten percent now you put fifteen percent of your portfolio into this position goes down by half again you can <laughs> yeah. do that again like at some stage you've got this you've got this risk limit but it's kind of being ignored by the fact that you're stuffing so much of the portfolio into this thing that's going down and you you could be wrong. There's lots of stuff you don't know. There are black swans out there. The way I deal with it um, is, you know, is to punt a little bit because I just rebalance back to back to even. But then I'm also looking at back to equal weight. Then I'm also looking at, you know, is the business deteriorating? Does that make it fall out of the place where I want to own it? And if that happens, then that decision sort of somewhat taken away from me. And I also think that you have to give positions enough time to work out. What happens often mm-hmm. is that a position is bought deteriorates over the first quarter or so and then recovers like I think you need to give them at least a year to kind of figure themselves out so that's a really long messy way of telling you what I do which is just to equal weight and then keep on watching them in the screen I think that's pretty effective there are smarter ways of doing it I'm not there are lots of really really smart better ways of doing everything i'm just always trying to find the, the simple one that i can implement when i'm really really under the gun and stressed because i those sit that's coming again there's always one coming what's them what's that uh gambling strategies like martindale where you just
1: double, double down up. every every martingale. single time yeah i think
0: that's a is that a reverse martingale yeah something i like always that, forget huh? yeah works until it doesn't right
2: I mean, I you know, I think um, like I just think Guy Spears' book has a lot of wisdom in it um, as far as putting up barriers around you. And I, I probably mentioned it before when we've when we talked, but you know, the idea that he won't sell a position for two years um, or like you know, I, I don't know if you want to do like a two and a half, five percent, ten percent position going in or something like that, and. If it's ten, then you don't double down. If it's two and a half, maybe you do. And whatever it is, I, I could not agree more with Jake that like having a plan going in and then monitoring whether or not you think you're you're still right, which the best way to do that is to have a written plan going in. Uh, then then I think these decisions get a little bit easier.
0: It should also turn on the nature of the business that you're looking at. So you know, commodity cyclical with a little bit of leverage that you, that you get one bite at that. Yep uh, Compound uh, uh, Maybe you can double up a little bit On something like that That's probably Something that you think Is going to be materially bigger In three to five years time Is a much different proposition To something like A cyclical Like Those cyclicals get really ugly At the bottom Like there's no flaw On a cyclical Yeah
1: And don't assume That you're Going to have willpower At that right. That moment Because that's how you end up Losing money Or getting syphilis <laughs> <laughs> you love you love the
0: syphilis line.
1: I love the Munger joke. It's so funny.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it because uh, we're out, <laughs> out of time. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Shake it up.
2: Stop the thirteen.